My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramer. I was building my friends. I'm just trying to make you some money. My job is not to entertain, educate, teach. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. Now, if you're tearing your hair... If you're tearing your hair out trying to figure out what's driving this market, you are not alone. And that's especially true on a day like today with the Dow gain 91 points, S&P advance 0.16%, and the Nasdaq declined 0.24%. I take last night, all right? So I'm sitting at the bar at Mr. Charles, the one at 57th Street in Midtown, uh, patiently waiting for Salesforce CEO Mark Benny. I have to come from California to appear at my corporate governance uh, conference tomorrow, where we're discussing how business can be the greatest platform for social change. Very nice guy comes up. He gives me the now usual fist bump, right? Like there's no COVID on the fist, huh? And, and wants to know uh, uh, when his stocks will stop going down. So I say, is it Fang? He said, yeah, Fang and Fang derivatives. I said, all right. I don't know. When natural gas is going to go down, stop going up. But if you can tell me when natural gas goes down, that's when Fang stops going down. The moment I said it, I realized how stupid it sounded. And it sounds stupid because it is stupid. The stock linkage is real, even as the real world linkage smacks more of fantasy than fact. Tech's been getting hammered because bond yields keep climbing, as nobody on Wall Street wants to own tech when interest rates are rising. Why are bond yields going up? Well, in large part, it's because natural gas prices keep soaring. So if nat gas can stabilize or go down, maybe bond yields can come back down, which would then bail out the tech stocks so many people love. And that's exactly what played out between 4.30 this a.m. and about 10 a.m. Of course, when a linkage gets this attenuated, it makes you wonder if the market has completely lost its mind. Do we really believe Apple stocks should rally? If natural gas falls from $6 to $5.50, Apple's market capitalization might literally grow by $50 billion if natural gas breaks down below $5.50, even though there's no direct connection. But like it or not, that is how this market works, at least for this moment. What makes this whole thing so galling is that natural gas has been rallying in this country, different from the rest of the world, for no particularly important reason. We have more natural gas than we know what to do with. Some of the less responsible producers still burn off their excess supply when no one's looking because it's cheaper than finding new storage space. So how the heck did it fall to $6 yesterday, almost double where it was a few months ago? Well, there's obviously been some hurricane damage, but it, a lot of it's because there's just not enough pipeline capacity. And we keep having trouble siting and adding new pipes. Tons of gas is effectively trapped in Ohio and western Pennsylvania. I'm in two of the largest fields in the world, and they can't be tapped as much as they should. And they would be uh, if we didn't have such strictures and the price of the commodity would be much lower. So then you have to ask, why is it landlocked? All right, let me give you a real-life example. Earlier this month, a 120-mile perspective pipeline got shot down. This would have brought 1.1 billion cubic feet per day to Pennsylvania and New Jersey from the western part of Pennsylvania. I know the pipeline's path. It would have come incredibly close to a farm I used to own, but my ex-wife Karen Kramer and all the neighbors were against it. I probably would have been, too. I owned another property in Pennsylvania where a pipeline went through, and they were always traipsing around unannounced, checking it out, and then they gave me a cheesy calendar for all my troubles. No thanks. 
So I might as well have told my inquisitor, Mr. Charles, that Apple and Amazon went down because of Karen Kramer. I mean, that's how absurd this linkage has become. When certain stocks are presumed to be worth much less every time bond yields make even minuscule moves, higher it, it, the interest rates go higher uh, because of that gas prices. You know those Karens. But it's not just the tech nat- natural gas linkage. This market is full of absurdity, and it's very upsetting. I'm going to give you another one. Warby Parker came public today. This is a vertically integrated eyeglass maker with a digital footprint and a bunch of brick and mortar stores. I talked about it last night. I think it's a good company. It's not a great company. I told you not to touch the stock above its reference price of $40 because the valuation would just be impossible to justify, if not silly. In part, that's because Warby Parker did a direct listing, meaning it just plopped down the exchange to fare for itself. And in this case, they don't even have a lockup on insider selling. But today, the stock instantly jumps to 54. It's got a $6 billion valuation. That's lunacy, people. Last year, Warby Parker raised a bunch of money at $3 billion, and almost nothing has changed since then. So either the people who got in on that last round of private fundraising are some of the savviest investors in the world, or the people buying it up here today are a bunch of suckers. I'm guessing the latter. Of course, this is not unusual. About five years ago, I had a cup of coffee at a place called Dutch Bro in Ashland, Oregon, where my daughter was living at the time. Everybody loves Dutch Bro out there. They got these kiosks and parking lots, and somehow they remember your drink from month to month. When the company came public two weeks ago, the IPO priced at 23. Then the stock opened at 32.50, up 41%, for surging nearly $55 over the next couple of days. Since then, Dutch Bro has settled down in the mid 40s, $7.3 billion valuation. Well, at least it's actually profitable, unlike Warby Parker. I know, adjusted their profitable. Give me a break. Again, Dutch Bro is being valued not by its prospects, okay, but by the taste of its coffee and the fun of the kiosk. I doubt anyone involved in this deal from the banking end has a clue how to explain why this stock should trade where it does. It makes no sense. But like Warby Parker, cents don't matter. People like Warby Parker for the style. They, they got an army of hipsters customers already taking over Brooklyn, even as it has less than 200 stores. They like Dutch Bro for the incredible amount of caffeine they put in each cup, even as it has uh, only it has fewer than 500 stores. I never got to spend enough time with my daughter up in Ashland. So you know what I did? I always went for the annihilator. The annihilator at Dutch Pro when I hit that great town on Friday night. And then I didn't have to go to sleep until Sunday. Yeah! Uh, because each time I was about to fall asleep, I just had another annihilator. I was so charged up with those annihilators that I was able to climb Upper Table Rock 2,000 feet with my daughter screaming, Daughter, by Pearl Jam, all the way. <laughs> you could argue that, that moment and seeing Eddie Vedder's black on the way down. Plus, a cup of Dutch, bro, is easily worth $7 billion. I mean, really, really, though, uh, these are companies with famous brands that have their own squad of cheerleaders. And I don't know how long that's going to last. People constantly cheer for football teams that have no chance of winning whatsoever, at least without the point spread. Doesn't change the game. If you cheer for the Jets or Southern Oregon Raiders, you might also like buying Warby Parker or Dutch, bro. I mean, at this point, it's pretty much the same thing. There's just one problem. Stocks aren't football teams. When the insiders get a chance to sell, and in the case of Warby Parker, they can start immediately, then it would be nuts for them not to blow out of as many shares as they can because they know better than anyone that their stocks can't stay up here in la-la land, pinned by their popular products or their incredible annihilator caffeine that makes you sing yellow lead better at the top of your lungs. <laughs> the bottom, it's Eddie Vitter. The bottom, and Karen Kramer, don't take it up personally. I, 
Anyway, the bottom line, yes, we're in a market where natural gas pipelines control Amazon. While newly public stocks trade on style points or annihilators and coffee kiosks, they're all part of the lunacy of the moment. Is it crazy that the market works this way? Sure. But then again, it's also crazy that I believe in the long-awaited rematch of the New England Patriots and my beloved Philadelphia Eagles in next year's Super Bowl in L.A. Brian in Indiana. Hey, hey, Brian. Booyah, Jim. Booyah. Jim, I realize your long-term uh, concern with Tether. However, if you are a long-term Bitcoin bull, what do you think of buying MicroStrategy on the expectation that Michael Saylor continues to add Bitcoin to the balance sheet and increases the amount of Bitcoin per share? Outstanding? Just go buy Bitcoin. You don't know what Saylor's going to be up to. Saylor's just a guy. No, no. You buy Bitcoin and you can go to any one of these exchanges and buy it. I'd be much more comfortable and recommend a stock. I don't know what he's going to keep buying the stock, buying Bitcoin or blowing out Bitcoin. And he don't owe us nothing. I mean, I'd rather own Dollar Tree. Just mention that because it's up a lot. How about Nick in Rhode Island? Nick. Hey, Jim. How's it going? Not bad, Nick. How about you? This club member is doing amazing today. Thank you very much. Thank you. I really appreciate it. What's up? So, so Jim, I don't want to be the guy who sold too early, but the stock has been a little rocky as of late. Is the stock of American Eagle worth holding on to? Yes. I mean, I went back and forth with Matt, Bo- Matt Boss, put out a really good piece. He's a JP Morgan analyst. Nothing's changed. It's still real good. But thank you for showing the patience because it sure doesn't seem like it's good, but I'm banking with it, okay? Now, are you confused about what's driving this market? You're not alone. Bond yields, not gas, IPOs, Eddie Vedder, the annihilator. Sometimes you can't understand what's controlling the market, but you can try to position your portfolio against wild moves by buying terrific, solid companies with good balance sheets and good dividends. And even though, even though I love Eddie Vedder, and my, my daughter's does hey, hey, I can't play the music anymore. You know, like, I owe this. All right, well, Mad Money tonight. Micron reported last night, and the street chipped away at the stock today. So are the investors getting a buying opportunity in the chip kingpin? I'm talking to the CEO. Then 23andMe came public via SPAC earlier this year. And I'm putting this stock to the test of the company's top brass. And Walmart announced that speaker will be using a firm's buy now, pay later, also known as BNPL. Uh, it turned the service to replace its layaway plan this holiday season. Good for the consumer. I'm going to get the latest on the news from the company's CEO. So stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at CNBC.com or give us a call at 1 800 743 CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. All right, what happened to the stock of Micron, the big commodity chip maker? For weeks, the analysts have been tripping over themselves to cut numbers in anticipation of a disappointing quarter. Lots of doom and gloom. But when Micron finally reported last night, we got the numbers everyone was so worried about. And while they they were bad, they weren't that bad. Though the company delivered better than expected sales and earnings numbers, their forecast for the current quarter was indeed weak. And that's why the stock initially pulled back hard last night. Although once people listened to the conference call, the stock made up some of its losses and only finished the day today down 2%. But get this, at one point it was actually higher than last night's close. Why? Because while Micron's seeing softer demand from the PC market, that's only because the computer companies can't find other components, not theirs. If you can't find processors, who needs Micron's memory chips? At the same time, the growth 
gross margin guidance didn't really indicate much erosion. That was shocking. And it's not what we'd be seeing if they had a legitimate demand problem, meaning that there was a lot of glut in the system. Plus, Matchman's four-year commentary I found very encouraging. Don't take it from me. Earlier today, we got a chance to speak to Sanjay Mahotra. And Sanjay is the president CEO of Micron, and I think the spokesperson for the American semiconductor industry. Take a look. Sanjay, you have told me over and over again, this is not the old Micron, the boom-bust Micron, that the analysts may not understand that, but I think it is playing out. What is going on that it is a secular growth story and they don't understand it? Jim, Micron definitely has driven a tremendous transformation with technology and product leadership over the course of last few years. And that reflects in our strong FQ4 results that we just reported, which were 37% up year over year on revenue and more than 100% increase in EPS. Our FQ1 guidance also is robust from the point of view of year over year growth and strong gross margin guidance as well. And with all the momentum that we have built with our technology and products to address the secular growth demand drivers, we are also projecting that our fiscal year 22, which has just started, will be a record year for the company with solid profitability. So no question that Micron is built upon and gaining momentum with technology and product leadership, manufacturing excellence, close partnership with our customers, and we are excited about the future prospects and continuing to navigate through the challenges of the pandemic very well, I believe, thanks to our team. Now, uh, when I look at the pastiche of what you make now, this is not a PC uh, appendage. You have got high-performance computing. You've got 5G. You've got AI. These are great secular trends that I think people are ignoring, which is why Micron may be a great opportunity here. Micron is absolutely focused on driving differentiated solutions. I'll just give you one example. Our graphics memory, DRAM, uh, working with NVIDIA, establishing the industry's highest performance memory, GDDR6X. Another example, in the future, there will be a new memory interface called CXL, and Micron is working with Intel and AMD, driving innovative solutions. And, Jim, memory is at the leading edge of semiconductor manufacturing, and Micron is at the leading edge of memory, and we are driving a strong portfolio of products built using these. And again, the secular demand drivers driven by AI, 5G, industrial IoT, automation, automotive sector, all of these are really strong demand drivers. An important thing is that in all of these applications, the end user demand is strong, but also the content is increasing in each of the units. Now, Sanjay, uh, typically uh, in the old days, particularly in the 90s, when a Micron had trouble, what would go is that first, your balance sheet. The balance sheet would be bad. Second, that would happen is there'd be a big inventory glut. And third, there'd be tremendous gross margin erosion. Are any of those things happening right now? So Micron's balance sheet is rock solid, really strong. Our liquidity is strong. And this we have done over the course of last few years, again, building on the foundation of strong technology and product portfolio. 
With respect to our inventory, actually our inventory is lower than our target inventory levels because there has been such a surge in demand that we have shipped everything we could make and our inventory is right now too lean. In fiscal year 22, we will have to replenish some of this inventory in order to make sure that we are providing serviceability to our customers. And Jim, this is a phenomenon not only at Micron, it's also in the entire supplier base of memory and storage solutions that inventories are running lean. And that actually is a favorable factor in terms of the industry demand supply balance. And of course, we remain extremely focused on making sure that some of the semiconductor shortages that we are experiencing in our own supply chain, we are able to overcome them gradually over the course of next few quarters so that we can ship some of the demand that today we are not able to fulfill because of those supply chain shortages. So, Jim, our fundamentals with respect to our execution, both on technology, product side, manufacturing, managing our overall supply chains in the current challenging environment of shortages across the semiconductor industry. Our execution is absolutely rock solid and we work very closely with our diverse set of global customers to continue to understand their needs and make sure that we are managing our business for profitable growth in the future. I'm so glad you mentioned that situation. There are a bunch of analysts who are saying that your first quarter guide down is basically your fault. In truth, your first quarter is incredibly strong, but some of your uh, fellow semiconductor companies have not been able to be- meet the demand, and that's why your first quarter is not as strong as you would like it. You know, our first quarter in the PC part of the market, our PC customers have been impacted by their ability to procure sufficient matched sets of components to fulfill their end demand. Let me point out, PC end user demand is strong, but some of the PC customers are not able to fulfill their demand because they are not getting sufficient all components that are needed to build the PCs. As a result, some of the demand to us is impacted from them as they balance out some of their inventory considerations. However, this, we look at it as an air pocket in the PC segment. Outside of that, across other markets, the demand drivers are strong. And, of course, you know, as I mentioned, that the supply in the industry by memory producers is running extremely lean. So, and with CapEx, that has been extremely prudent in terms of Mm -hmm. building for the future. We really look at healthy demand supply balance in the industry. And, of course, we remain focused on shifting the mix of our products toward high-value solutions, which, again, really brings us better margin opportunities and closer intimacy with our customers. Uh, One last question. I believe you are the dean in America, Uh, not others. Others claim, but you are the dean in America. What would you say to the government? What would you say to industrials like Ford about how to deal with the semi-shortage? They're looking to you, Sanjay, not others. Give them advice. I think it's extremely important that there be strong transparency, close collaboration, and, of course, commitment to the future requirements as well. Semiconductors, as you know, Jim, very well, the lead times to add to the supply are long in semiconductors, several months. So, of course, improvements are being made with close collaboration with the customers, transparency, and commitment 
into the future forecast will, of course, lead to us working together to overcome these shortages. And the other piece I would say, Jim, is the technology in semiconductor manufacturing is always moving fast. And in this regard, continuing to work on how to shift the, uh, for our customers, the portfolio to newer advanced nodes is going to be important because that just gives you greater availability to supply as well. And of course, from the U.S. government point of view, really pleased with the focus that they have on semiconductor importance because it's really driving all aspects of, of the economy today and is critical to future economic growth. So pleased with bipartisan support with respect to importance of semiconductors for U.S. leadership as well as U.S. administration's oh. focus on this. And we certainly hope that some of the initiatives, such as the CHIPS Act, that are in the House currently right. do get passed soon so America can get going with, agenda, with its agenda okay. of establishing strong semiconductor global leadership in research as well as in manufacturing. That's Sanjay Mahotra, CEO Micron. Mayor Bunny will be back in a moment. Coming up. Is EPS in this company's DNA? Kramer sequences the future of 23andMe with the CEO. Next. Now the market has long given up on most SPAC stocks. Could the more interesting ones that have been left behind be worth taking a look? Take one that's an old-time favorite for me. Take 23andMe. It's the genetic testing company with subscription services to let you know how your genes could affect your health. This June, 23andMe came public by merging with VG Acquisition Corp. But since then, the stock has fallen from $11 to 8 bucks and change. Frankly, I don't understand that decline. I think gene sequencing is the future of medicine. I'm intrigued by the fact that 23andMe has a treasure trove of data. It's got 11 million customers, uh, all kept private if you want it. A lot of the healthcare industry could do a a lot with these genotypes. So could the stock be worth buying here? Let's check in with Ann Wojcicki. Ann is the co-founder and CEO of 23andMe to learn more about her business and her future and future to come. And we, were, we had you on five years ago, and I am so excited about your success because I think this company, as soon as I met you, we all did it. And I am so glad that this that your company's public so people can buy it. Give us an overview because it sure has changed in the five years since I met you. Yeah, the thing that's amazing is how much the business model has actually not changed. It's always been about, you know, empowering customers and then also enabling them to be part of this data revolution. So we have a business, the consumer side, where people sign up, they get their own test, they can get it, they can learn about ancestry, they learn about health. And then over 80% of our customers opt in to participate in research. And like you said, we now have 11 million customers, over 80% of them have opted into research, and we have the ability to analyze all of that genetic data at once. And what that allows us to do is really to start to understand what the human genome means and human biology. And we take those insights, and we're now actually developing therapeutics from that. Well, I've got to tell you. So I, there's really there's like two sides, the consumer and the therapeutics. I have to tell you, uh, let's start with the latter because I think it's so exciting. I okay. checked in with, with, GS, with, uh, with GlaxoSmithKline. They are telling me they are working with you for 40-plus early drug discovery, oncology, immunology, neurology, cardiovascular, metabolic disease, and that your collab- their collaboration continues to exceed all expectations. So this is, just, yeah. this is a major pharma company that is obviously uh, looking at everything you have and making incredible 
incredible innovations. Plus, they're people who did not know because of their ethnic background that they were suspect for certain illnesses. So this is major breakthrough stuff you're doing. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think the thing that people don't realize, like, there's an incredible world that comes from having data in healthcare. And what we hypothesized on from those early days when we started the company is that if you have a large amount of genetic data, you're going to start to be able to make insights that you wouldn't have otherwise ever been able to see. And that's exactly what happened. And so you talk about with GSK, we signed this large collaboration with GSK in 2018. And it's actually been, it's just been far more productive and more successful than I think we ever had expected. So as you said, we have over 40 programs um, underway. We have, you know, one in the clinic. We have one that we own on our own that we've said would go into the clinic by the end of first quarter. And so we have what we find is like a real treasure trove of insights, like insights into how human biology works that no one else can see. And by having this collaboration, we've been able to really move from just having a scientific discovery into something where, you know, we're really going to be able to make novel therapeutics. But I also want to point out for those, uh, including my wife who took it, that she said, oh, my God, what are they going to do with my data? Are they going to sell or whatever? You have the ability to keep the data private and not be part of the database. A hundred percent. It's actually, again, part of my whole experience. When I started the company, it was really all about putting the consumer first. Because a part of what I learned through my 10 years of investing was that like the consumer doesn't really have much of a voice. And you know, there's all kinds of businesses out there that manage your data going from one place to another. And it's more about optimizing healthcare and, you know, getting you from spot one to the other or revenue management than actually what is in your best interest. And so 23andMe really started with this idea that I want to provide my customers choice and transparency. So at any point in time, you know what you've opted into and you have the ability to opt in or you have the ability to opt out. So most of like when we signed the GSA collaboration, we actually emailed all of our customers and said, we're really enthused. We are going to be, you know, analyzing this data to translate it and make you, you know, you know, mm-hmm. therapies that are going to help benefit for you. But if you do not want to participate, click here. Perfect. And it was amazing how many of our customers, like people actually want to participate. They just want the respect that they have actually been given the choice. No, I want people to understand how important this is. I did was part as a fundraiser with a terrible, terrible illness, a BRCA gene. Uh, mm-hmm. We did a, a, a fundraiser for it. And I did not know the linkage between Jewish people and BRCA. If you, yeah. And yeah. so therefore, I realized without 23andMe, you may not know your heritage. This has saved yeah. a lot of lives. It has. It's one of the things I actually am really proud of is that over, you know, when I look at all of my customers who have found that they have the BRCA mutation, over 30% of them never knew that they had Jewish ancestry and never would have qualified under the existing insurance guidelines to actually get access to a test. So right there, I can point to hundreds of people or even thousands potentially that have actually gotten, you know, a, a, a BRCA result because of 23andMe's mission to provide access to them, and it has really been life-saving. Now, I know that you were a fabulous investor in biotech before you, became, yeah, you took this job. Uh, can you explain to me in any way, 
But I know I th- I know the stock should be higher. But it, some of the parts is worth much more. I'm trying to understand with the SPAC. If you, I believe if you had came public regularly and the stock would be higher. I really do. Because the some um, of the parts of the consumer side and the medical side are so exciting and expansive in the time since you even came public. I am mystified by the $8 price. I just am. Maybe you yeah. can enlighten me. I can't. You know, I think... The, the feedback actually I get, it's interesting because I do a lot of investor meetings now and, and in, with everyone. I mean, even how you started this conversation, people tend to look at us just as an ancestry company. Right. And they right. say like, oh, you're just a consumer company. Like you sell this ancestry kit. And it's like a novelty. And I think people don't realize the power and the potential of data and of actually like we're the only ones in healthcare that really have this direct access with customers. Like we reach out and we engage them and they come back regularly. So we actually like, it's, it's a model that I think that is really, that is poorly understood. And I know this based on some of the investor meetings I have, or people is eye-opening. The fact that we even have therapeutics, like it's eye-opening to people. So I do think we're not a a well-understood story and that will just take time. Right. I know. Look, I came in for my wife to endure heritage, but I came out because I studied GlaxoSmithKline. I don't want to dedicate my wife to, but the GlaxoSmithKline partnership alone is worth $8. And with just keep, and is the the co-founder and CEO of 23andMe and I've got to tell you, this is a great story. It's a story you have to read because it's not just ancestry. Man Money's back after the break. Does this company have a firm grip on the future of payments? Kramer sits down with a company that's changing the way we pay. Next. Just three weeks ago, we spoke to Affirm Holdings, the financial technology company that's become the king of buy now, pay later. At the time, they just announced a huge partnership with Amazon. What a coup. Porter magnificent quarter, so the stock had nearly doubled in a matter of days. Since then, things have gone, well, let's say I think the company's gotten better. Last week, we learned that Walmart's using Affirm's buy now, pay later service, too, to replace its layaway program this holiday season. However, because the stock market suddenly soured on growth names, stocks gotten crushed in recent days, 11% drubbing yesterday. Last night, we highlighted it on the off the charts segment because this is an incredibly high quality stock that rarely gives you such an enticing pullback. That said, I'm more interested in the long haul, especially since the firm just held a big investor event uh, last night where they introduced a slew of new products and features, as well as some bullish long-term financial guidance. So let's take a closer look with Max Levchin. Max is the founder, chairman, and CEO of Affirm Holdings to catch up with this terrific story. Mr. Levchin, welcome back to Mad Money. Thank you for having me. It's amazing to be back so quickly. I I feel... uh embarrassed. Well, you should. You should be honored. I did some work looking at the investor presentation and I found you said, look, it's a technology company. I found on page 20 uh, a a very small little item that QR code and I put it on. It turns out it's the type of thing you talk about. It's a patent. Explain the source of technology and how much of what you have nobody else can get. Uh, I, I appreciate someone got my Easter egg. So as, as an engineer, I, uh, I, I can't not occasionally allow myself a minor prank. So uh, the QR code in our investor deck uh, links to a patent. More than anything, it's a, uh, a hat tip. So we announced our debit plus card. We're crazy excited about it. I think it's an amazing product. I think it's going to fundamentally change lives for people. So very excited about that. We started talking about this idea in literally 2013, right around the founding of the company. And 
my co-founders' names are on that patent as is mine. And so more than anything is just say, hey, guys, we, we finally got this thing out. And so I, I just wanted to, you know, maybe they're watching. Uh, it, it's, it's, it's about uh, more than anything pointing out that uh, we think ourselves an intellectual leader in the space. We started inventing this future a decade ago. The stuff we're working on today we think is probably 10 years out. So technology is at the core of what we do product shipping amazing things for consumers, for merchants, for our partners is what it's all about. Um, and so it, it's just a, a little nod to, uh, to all that goodness. Well, look, I like it because I want people to understand how proprietary you, when you say the great unbundling continued, this is not just you doing a PR campaign. You have cracked a code that makes it so from what I can tell you have much lower delinquencies and it's a much better way than FICO to try to figure out who's going to go wrong. And what I've been hearing from different merchants that I talk to is that younger people are buying a lot more things because of a firm. All true. All true. Um, it is. We, our technology really is the cornerstone of who we are and how we do business. Uh, you know, if anything, we are uh, typically too polite. We try to, uh, the results and just let the numbers speak for themselves. But the unbundling of the credit card, this idea that there are right solutions for right tr- for, for different types of transactions. You know, if you're buying a bicycle, if you're buying a t-shirt, if you're buying a cup of coffee, you shouldn't put it all into the same revolving balance that will charge you interest forever and ever and you'll never get out. And, and that's what the credit card is. And so unpacking that, yet keeping it consumer friendly does give people a sense of comfort and control. And that results in better and more frequent purchases, and that's what merchants love, and that, that's what our business is all about. Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a virtuous circle for the consumer, as you explained to us, and for the retailer. Now, uh, there are some people who are saying, Jim, y- you've fallen in love with a firm, but I, there's PayPal, there's, uh, there's Square, there's all these different fintech, different companies. And I say, they all do different things. They are not all the same. This is not like the five different credit cards you got when you got out of college. And that there's plenty of room for your particular debit plus and plenty of room for the different things that you offer. Uh, I, I think that it is proprietary. You obviously are loaded with good stuff. Are you getting any resistance? People say, I already have PayPal. I don't need you. Uh, you know, no. I think that, that that hasn't happened to us much yet. Uh, more than anything, I mean, on the one hand, we just ran a survey with consumers that were prepped for the holidays. And literally half the people we surveyed, and these are not just from customers, told us, hey, I intend to use buy now, pay later. For the holidays. And so this idea of replacing credit card with buy not pay later is front and center. It's gone mainstream, which is great. You know, we're, we're, we're playing right into that wave. On the flip side, buy not pay later is less than 5% of US e-commerce, maybe 3% last I looked. And so just if you look at the demand and the actual penetration, it's going to be a long time before we start bumping into other players and saying, well, you know, what do you have and what do I have? Our consumers love us. We are unique in a sense that we charge no late fees. We don't do deferred interest. We're you know, extremely focused on consumer delight, which is ultimately what creates this trust-based relationship. I think, uh, you know, there's a long way to go before we start, uh, you know, playing a zero-sum game. All right. Uh, last question for me, Max, is that someone, uh, another person who knows I like your company said, oh, yeah, interest rates, the 10-year moved, it uh, is 6% move last week. I bet you Max got killed. And I said, that is just inconceivable to me. That is not the way a firm works. You get a 6% move in the 10-year. That does not impact your business that I can tell. So actually, here's a really interesting thing. So a firm becomes more valuable to its end consumer if your interest rates go up. Today, when you look at your credit card and you say, ah, you know what? My credit rate's been lowered because the Fed you know, kept their rates pretty low too. I, I'm the beneficiary. 9% APR versus a firm 0% 
Yeah, I know. Maybe, maybe I'll think about it. I, I like the points. If the rates really go up a bunch, my 0% offering is going to be a lot more compelling compared to your high teens or low 20s. And I think in that scenario, we're actually better positioned to weather the, uh, the interest rates. And I think in, in general, that, that misconception you know, over time will go away as, as we show performance as rates inevitably go up and down. But no, I, we, we believe that we're very well positioned to, to handle uh, whatever interest rate changes come towards us. Well, I know that you know your space better than anybody else. So I have to believe that when I see that you have a Walmart layaway, which 200 million people go to Walmart each week, that it is going to be something that is going to be big for you, big for Walmart. And even if MasterCard comes in, as they just did, that is not going to hold back your Walmart relationship for the holiday season. Uh, Walmart is a fantastic partner and, and has been for some time and just the relationship continues to expand and we we have a, a extreme degree of respect for just how they conduct themselves as a business and how they partnered with us and what we've done together and so there's a lot of great things to build and you know the latest thing this, this layaway idea is, is really cool but there's so much more to do together and we're, we're very very bullish on that well i'm good there i find them incredibly ethical good company because their ceo is ethical and good and i'm glad you're partnered with him as well as many other good companies i want to thank max Lepton. i wanted max to come back because i want you in this story because i think this is the real deal he's the co-founder chairman ceo of affirm holdings max it's great to have you back on thank you come with me. i'm putting these companies on because I need you to own a great growth stock when it goes down. That's when you make your money. You have money's back into Coming up, a storm is coming. So give us a call. Kramer's got the answers to all your burning questions. The lightning round is next. And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready? Ski deck. Aston in Florida. Aston. Jimbo. Yo, yo. This is Aston from Florida. Jim, my stock today is HubSpot. H-U-B-S. All right. HubSpot is what I call Red Hot. It's one of the hottest stocks in the market. Does Salesforce like marketing? I'd rather see you in Salesforce. More seasoned, better, not as high multiple. Jeff in Colorado. Jeff. Thank you, Jim. Thank you for all your advice. I'm a longtime viewer and first-time caller. Thanks for all your advice over the Thank years. You. I've been watching you since 2007. Oh, my question is on ThoughtWorks, TWKS. And- See, now, again, ThoughtWorks, what happens to me is I say, okay, well, look, that looks a little like Autodesk. I've been with some people from Autodesk. It is really well run. I like that one very much. Let's go Steve in Georgia. Steve. Hey, Jim. I've been wondering about Old Republic International. What can I say? Don't wonder and start buying. It's the kind of stock I really like. It's got almost 4% yield. It's in a good business. I don't know, someone's going to take it over one day. Let's go to Martin in Illinois. Martin. Hi, Jim. Hey, Martin. I wanted to let you know we appreciate you, and thank you for making it your passion to help commenters make wise investment decisions. Thank you. You truly Man, thank are you. a great American, sir. You truly thank are you. great. Wow. Thank you. Yes. Now, my stock is a chip company based in Pennsylvania. It is a low P.E. ratio, good dividend, and a nice ascending chart. What are your thoughts on Vichay? I've always liked Symbol. Vichay, yes. Malvern, PA, got a lot of friends out that way. By the way, that was the rich part of town. I was not part of that town. I always said one day I'll make it there. I can make it anywhere. I didn't. I like Vichay, though. Monty in Virginia. Monty. How are you, Tim? Not bad, Monty. How about you? Good, good. How are you? Not bad. How about you? 
I'm doing good. Just wondering, you know what, QS, and how do you think that compares to the current lithium batteries out there? Which one? QuantumScape, I don't know. There's real competition in that battery space. I mean, like, real competition. Let's be a little careful out there. Peter in Arizona. Peter. Hoya, Jim. Carefree Arizona here, and we do care about one thing, and that is what's going to happen with Genworth stock. Um, really? Well, then you don't. You ought to, like, take up. Uh, you know what's going to happen with it? I think it's going to be not great, and I would ka-ching, ka-ching, ka-ching. Can I go to Robert in Tennessee, please, Robert? Hi, Jim. Interested in a company whose symbol is DMYI. It's a SPAC. Uh, it's a blind check. I don't know. I mean, this is a mystery wrapped in an enigma, and I cannot uh, opine on that because it's just too darn crazy. Uh, can I have uh, Cecil, Maryland? Cecil. Jim, this is Cecil, and I'm a first-time caller. All right. Two Medical Incorporated. I bought into an IPO. What are your thoughts on it? I'm worried please? about this. I'm worried about this, and not just because it goes down every day, but periodically it's a meme stock, and that is not for me. I'm not a memist. I am not a memist. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the conclusion of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. Coming up, hot, hot, I Make sense of the day's most critical market machinations in no time flat. Stick with Kramer for a special no huddle next. Mr. Kramer, absolutely love the show. We really appreciate you out there, man. Booyah to my kids, Emma and Aiden. They're in elementary school learning so much from you. Booyah, Mr. Kramer. I know you hear this all the time, Jim, but thank you, thank you, thank you so much. This has been my best year by far and away in the market. I just want to thank you for, you know, looking out for the regular guys out there. I am trying to teach people to be better investors, and I am doing my darn best. That's the goal here. Great to hear your voice and know that you're there for us. What do people want out of a stock? Some thrill seekers want excitement, especially the ones who use options to speculate. Some view this whole business as a zero-sum game. They care more about making the person on the other side lose than anything else. As they see it, they're trying to stick it to the man. Not that we even know who the man is, although I often hear that it's me. As for me, though, I want something simple from stocks. I want boring that's right. No surprises, no craziness, just boring. Now, that's not always an easy objective. This morning, Oppenheimer downgraded Morgan Stanley, one of my favorite companies, in a piece titled Boring But Lucrative, Downgrading Morgan Stanley as a near's price target. Now, the piece itself doesn't denigrate Morgan Stanley for its lack of pizzazz. They're more concerned about how the stock's already had an incredible run. It is up 45% year-to-date. They praise the investment bank for its credit quality improvement and its strong M&A business. Still, uh, the downgrade killed the stock. It fell to 2.5%. It's now back under 100 But Oppenheimer doesn't seem to understand that boring is a huge positive in the financial industry. The banking business has long been a total roller coaster. You'd have great quarters followed by bad quarters. You'd have episodic gains like we see, still see it at other big investment banks. Some people feel that's all Goldman has. I think it's better than that, but that's what you see. You'd have horrendous fines and penalties like at Wells Fargo. When does that end? You have all sorts of government regulators that mean uh, various abstruse metrics. We don't understand them. That can trip up a bank, especially an investment bank. Nearly every bank feels a little precarious. And then you have Morgan Stanley which is so consistent that it's boring. How great is that? 
11 years ago, James Gorman took over CEO in the wake of the Great Recession. And at the time, Morgan Stanley was a terrifying roller coaster. Actually, it was one of those great American screen machines. Since then, or Ferris Fury, since then, he turned into a sedate investment bank that stopped getting in trouble and started consistently making big money. I cheer that. It wasn't easy. Gorman was in some tricky lines of business. For example, in 2014, the firm was ordered to pay $625 million each to Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac. The settlement addressed mortgage-backed securities fraud allegations from 2005 to 2007. That was before Gorman's time. These days, though, Morgan Stanley's more in the news for buying companies like Eaton Vance or E-Trade to boost its wealth management business. A terrific, almost annuity stream of sticky non-episodic earnings. I love those businesses. Why is it so important? Because this bank doesn't trade that much differently from all the others. Very similar price to earnings multiple, despite its, well, boringness. Normally, stocks get a premium for consistency. But with Morgan Stanley, you get that consistency for free. A no alarms, no surprises bank should be worth a heck of a lot more than the roller coasters in the rest of the industry. I think it deserves a much higher valuation. And that's just the banks. Practically every industry I follow has a boring stock that I really like. There are very few entities more boring than Johnson Johnson with that AAA balance sheet, tremendous growth prospects, no flaws in Procter & Gamble. Just keep incessantly delivering. Microsoft's pretty much an Eagle Scout, consistently great numbers. And the utilities are an already boring Amer- uh, industry, right? American Eagle Power. Why do we put American Electric on? American Electric Power stands out for its sleep at night status. Maybe that is why I like it so much. Again, I want to keep the excitement for the stadium. Save your cheerleading for the home team. When it comes to investing, I look for boring companies that don't surprise except to the upside and otherwise put you to sleep every night with their lack of anything that you need to suddenly worry about. If you want to be on the edge of your seat, find another hobby because that's not a good way to manage your money. I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise you I'll find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer. See you tomorrow. The news with Shepard Smith starts now. 